Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. For the first time in a while, it is not Scott Coleman, it is not Eric Cole, it is good friend of the program, Zach Dillard of Fox Sports Out. What's up, man? Hey, yo, Brad Rowland, and sorry for the downgrade, everybody, from Eric and Scott, but uh, good to be here. I like to, uh, those guys are obviously the, the, by far the most frequent guests on the podcast. They're not, they're not even really guests, they're basically co hosts at this point, but I do like to at least every once in a while give those guys a week off, and uh, I always bug you to come on the podcast. So here we are, and I appreciate it, man. They deserve it. They work harder than I do. That's probably not true, um, but you know it is what it is. Those guys work hard, and I know you work hard, but we don't want to get into all of that personal life stuff at this point, Zach, because I, I know what, what kind of worker you are, but let's talk about the Braves. Um, Sunday's game got washed out, and that actually was probably good for me because I wasn't going to be able to see it live, so this is going to be a, uh, an earlier recording time, earlier posting time than normal, which is nice. And uh, the Braves are 12-8, and eight and things are going very well. Uh, Saturday, they had the really awesome, fun comeback win with a walk-off bunt. That's a new one um, for me. Uh, and it certainly, if nothing else, assuaged the uh, sort of the bitter taste from Friday. Because I think Friday's, not, Friday's loss was kind of brutal, honestly, and could have been sort of a pivot point, and it wasn't. So that was, that was fun. It was pretty surprising. And when you look at the way that this team has performed in later innings, especially offensively. I know that it's been a bit of a gang up on the bullpen, but there have been a lot of games this season where the bullpen will throw three, four shutout innings, get the pitcher back in the back of the dugout, send the offense back out and still throw up zeros offensively. So seeing a bit of a late inning comeback, so many of their runs have just been kind of piling up in the early innings, but uh, a comeback win, this is kind of becoming a bit of a, a trend since Brian Snitker took over. I don't know if you saw the stat, but 40 wins in their last at bat, the most in the majors since Brian Snitker took over. And uh, so despite the fact that they haven't been a great team over that over that span and they don't have a great record, uh, they've definitely been kind of uh, gangbusters in the later innings. But this was the first one that really stood out to me this year as a, as a game that I thought had slipped away from them and they probably weren't going to get back and then Freddie Freeman does Freddie Freeman things and the Mets bullpen, which has been fantastic, kind of starts crumbling and pulls a bit of a, a, a Braves uh, elevated walk rate there at the later innings and uh, Familia lets up, uh, lets up too many base runners and Ender pulled it off. So uh, it's, it's been an exciting team and it's good for them to kind of get their first, uh, I believe that's their first walk off since, uh, since Nick Marquez's opening day home run. So pretty cool. 
Yeah, it was a, that was a fun game, and uh, I will be candid and say that I I, I didn't give up on it all altogether. Uh, I have a multi TV setup, and I uh, I had moved the Braves off of the main TV to a to a, a less central television, um, and sort of gave, gave up on it. And then I was like, oh, here this might be fun. And then it suddenly was like, wait, was that a bunt walk off? It was like I had to watch the replay to make sure that I had seen it correctly because I was not listening to it at the time. So. Yeah, I got weird in a hurry, and I can always appreciate a good weird uh, game on Saturday. And given that there was no game on Sunday, that was the most recent result. So it gave us an opportunity to actually talk about it. Because normally we don't do super in-depth breakdowns on like the Monday games when I'm recording on right. Sunday. Um, but given that that was, that was the last result, it's a nice uh, way to start the pod. Because, um, you know, there, there might be a game that's more fun than that. But uh, that, that one, that, that ninth inning got super weird in a fun way. So a um, couple of sort of headline topics that I just ask everyone, and because you're here, you just get to talk about them. Uh, first one being that Freddie Freeman is not, as you mentioned before, he's uh, he's alive and well. Uh, there was that scare this week, since the last time we recorded the podcast, where there was that fear that he could have broken his wrist again. Um, in typical Freddie fashion, he played the next night for some reason. Um, what, what were your thoughts on that? Were you as afraid as everybody else was that that was broken? I know you were, you were probably much closer to it than most given that you uh, are around the team and, you know, hear things and, uh, and stuff like, well, you know, away, away from the, uh, the building, like I am, you kind of have to go off what's, uh, what's shared publicly. But by the end of the night, it felt like people were sort of upbeat about it. But uh, where were you at during that whole situation? Yeah. Cautiously optimistic was, that the, was the line of the day. Yes. Yeah, so the line of the day, the night of, and it, it it's I don't I don't know. I want to preface this with a couple of things. First of all, I think it is commendable that Freeman continues to want to be out there every single day. Uh, second of all, he I mean, we have to just call it what it is. This guy is an absolute superstar, uh, especially offensively at the plate. Since 2016, only Mike Trout and Joey Votto have better offensive numbers than Freddie Freeman. So having him in your lineup. It's understandable why uh, any manager or GM would want him in there. Um, and I, you know, it's it's one of those things where when it happened and you look at the side-by-side of what happened in Toronto and what happened um, with his risk getting hit again, um, yeah, you could kind of tell that it wasn't the precise location and maybe he wasn't, you know, moving his wrist into this one. But I don't know, me, you and I were texting – that night when it happened and just his immediate reaction in the aftermath, you know, now that he, you know, the MRI and the x-rays and everything uh, came back clear, the aftermath, he said, well, we we're already winning. I just wanted to go ahead and get it over with. I didn't want to, you know, have it drag out. But in that moment, uh, when, when we were talking, it felt like kind of a realization and resignation of here we go again. And just his, I don't know, just his body language, it had to be frustrating for him. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I I really thought that it was going to be an injury to keep him out of the lineup, um, at least for a day. Um, I don't think it's outlandish to say that any other player on this roster probably would have sat out for a day. I mean, we saw Kurt Suzuki uh, get hit by a similar pitch, deal with a contusion. Um, He was out for a few days. They used an off day to kind of buy him some time. Um, I, it's, it's funny and I don't want to play like, I don't want to act like I'm a Freddie whisperer or anything or that I'm close to Freddie at all, but to play kind of armchair philosopher on his psyche, I guess, is this is a player that's really close to Chipper Jones. And I think he has like 
incredibly high aspirations, not only season to season, but throughout his career. And I think he sees himself, you know, he mentioned to us uh, when he sat down with Corey McCartney and I on uh, when we were doing some stuff for the for the Chop Fest show, um, saying he wants to be in a Braves uniform forever. Um, and I, I think it's even bigger than that. I think he wants, you know, he wants that number retired. And yeah, I mean, probably somewhere in the back of his mind, uh, he wants that Cooperstown call that he just saw Shipper get. Um, and every game he misses probably in his mind is one game, you know, fewer that he gets to play uh, in his, you know, prime, like absolute prime, which is what Freddie Freeman's in right now. Every game he's not in the lineup, he's not being able to punish pitchers at his career best rate. So I don't know. I The Braves have to toe this line, though, of making sure that he's good to go. And certainly, you know, he go, comes back out the next night, two singles, and it, it certainly looks, I mean, he hasn't hit a home run yet, but certainly seems like the power strokes back. Uh, that eighth inning double he had last night was absurd. Um, nobody's talking about it because of the ender bunt, but um, you're right. I think he took an. I think he. I think he took a 90 mile per hour down and in fastball inside out of it to left center. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. Like I have no idea how any hitter does that, and there's only probably a handful of them uh, active right now in baseball that can reach down and get that and just inside out it back the other way. Um, so he looks fine, um, and playing 162 games is an admirable goal. I don't know if it's necessary necessary in 2018 anymore um, with all the analytics and you know throughout sports what we know about rest and off days have certainly helped. But um, that was my long rambling answer to say that you know it, it's certainly a good thing for this team that he is healthy and still in the lineup, and at the same time, this is a deeply motivated person. Uh, that I think has experienced losing season after losing season and is probably fed up with it. And it seems like over the last two years now, especially going to third base just to keep Matt Adams in the lineup, uh, it seems like he's willing to take his own health uh, and put himself out there just to just to be in the lineup for the team. It's I don't know if it's the smartest decision as a franchise, but uh, certainly I don't blame Freddie for it at all. Yeah, I went on a, a bit of a tweet storm uh, after it was announced he, he was going to play the next night, and I did make sure to preface with the fact that I don't I don't blame Freddie. I think it's clear, you know, echoing everything you said, he just wants to play and he likes to play and uh, is never going to volunteer to sit out. My my worry, I should say, I I'm not, I won't call it an issue. I think it's it's a worry of mine that I, it doesn't feel as if anybody is willing to tell him he can't play. Um, he, I guess it's again. That's at the end of the day, it's kind of me guessing. But um, given the all the comments from last year about the wet newspaper comment that he was swinging at the at the end of the last season, the fact that he on on record again this time talked about how painful his wrist still was on the day that he was playing the next day, I understand it, it was not an injury to where you were worried about it making worse, but. I just think at some point, you know, maybe somebody comes in and says, hey, Freddie, why don't you take a day off? Uh, it, like everybody sort of lauded him and I understand why. And again, I, I get all of it about him, him you know, basically just going into Snicker and saying, I'm playing tomorrow. I, I get that. But can, at some point, could Snicker say, no, you're not? Uh, that, that's my question. I, I, and it's, it's sort of unanswerable. But if we get to a situation, and I think last year was this one and I ranted about it then and I still believe that I was right, that they shouldn't have played him every single day in August and September last season when it's for a team that was out of contention this year, you know, they're, they're still, obviously they're still playing for stuff. We'll talk about the team big picture later on, but it's still April. Like I think you probably could give them a day off, but we, we don't have to get I, bogged down too much in that. I just think it's kind of, 
alarming is too strong of a word, but I, I, my my bells go off when he just is. It's not that he's unwilling; it's that no one has seemingly wanted to tell him, "Hey, Freddie, take a day off." And I think we're a little more sensitive to it just because of what we saw last season. 100%. That if if this one happened in a vacuum, um, and let's say 2017 had ever happened, and the last major wrist injury would have been what 2015. We would have been like, oh, that was scary, but he yep. says he's good to go and he's back in the lineup. But after going through what we went into, went through in 2017, uh, hearing the comments about his wrist was weakening and wasn't going to be fully healthy until the offseason, I think we're a little more sensitive to the fact. Uh, the one thing that I would say that maybe uh, is more of a bright light at the end of the tunnel there is that this is a completely different front office. And I don't, I don't necessarily think they would operate – uh, the exact same way with the exact same um, types of injuries. Um, so I think if there was any risk that they probably would have uh, stepped in. And you're right, they are playing for something right now. And I do think that these built-in off days, and even today, um, a rain out um, early on in the schedule uh, could be fantastic for Freeman uh, as as we move on in April uh, with these rainouts in Chicago and now here in Atlanta. And I think they've had three scheduled off days to date. Uh, it's really helped keep this uh, keep this roster healthy, uh, especially behind the plate with Kurt Suzuki not having Tyler Flowers. So it, it, it's it's a I, I think uh, I don't know how to I don't know how to say it. it. It's a concerning but also a fascinating thing to watch. You know, a, a yeah. superstar in his prime that has dealt with this same frustrating injury. And I wouldn't even call him fragile because it's almost like uh, somebody runs a red light, hits your car, and then a year later runs a red light, hits your car again. It's not like you're accident prone. You just happen to be in the way of people that are illegally uh, driving. It's the same way here. You just happen to be hit by the same pitch in the same exact area. Um, and he says he's not going to change up his swing, and you know I wouldn't either if I were him because it's obviously working out to the to the point where he's one of the best hitters in baseball. Yeah, he's been tremendous, and we can we can get off that there. But I'm, I'm not worried about Freddie, um, and I do think you know playing 162 is admirable, and I think he's going to do it unless he gets injured. So we'll see if that you know all the all the extra off days can only help when your uh, when your plan going in apparently is 162. Um, so yeah, hopefully as much rest as possible. He, and he did, he did he did come out of the game the other night early when they had the huge lead. So that was I guess some more rest. I don't know <laughs> when they were up eight, whenever it was eight runs. He was like, all right, I'll I'll sit out for two innings. Like all right, Freddie came out of the game, which um, is I mean, which is good. I mean, it was. why not? I mean, exactly. if you're up big and you're dealing with the wrist, and you know you have you know some defensive options, it's not like they you know last year they had to move Nick Markakis down to right field, and in the immediate aftermath, we're like, well, are they going to do that again? Um, and now they have you know Ryan Flaherty, Charlie Culberson's played over there a little bit. Um, they have some options, so I mean, anytime they can buy Freddie rest and don't feel like it's a it's putting any lead at, at risk. Um, why not? I thought it was a pretty smart move uh, after the freak out of him playing uh, to buy him a little bit there. Uh, agreed. And by the way, that's sort of a, a bridge that it's it's a bit of a reach, but Jose Bautista could be playing first base in the near future. Ah, how about that? Segue. Um, Bautista is be playing third base most likely as he arrives, but there's been some reporting out there. Uh, obviously, the Braves signed him this week to a minor league deal, but I think it was Mark Bowman uh, earlier, it might have been today, maybe yesterday, said that the Braves could be calling him up by the end of this week. Uh, he's going to be playing a doubleheader in Gwinnett on Mondays, and yeah. uh, they, they like what they've seen from Bautista. What was your initial reaction when you saw that the Braves signed him, and 
you know, the fact that he could be up in three or four days here is uh, certainly faster than I would have imagined. The initial reaction was not shocking, but certainly the the timing is fairly obvious that the price has come down to a point where it's a it's a flyer that makes complete sense for Alex Anthopoulos, who has no risk at well, all, no <laughs> risk at all. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's not just Anthopoulos. It's not just like this general manager who has a history of the player is giving him a shot. Uh, Kevin Seitzer worked with him in 2014 as hitting coach up there. Uh, head trainer George Poulos, assistant GM Perry Maniason. They have a bunch of uh, you know Blue Jays ties in that in that front office in that you know coaching staff at the moment. And Anthopoulos said they they pulled everybody kind of what they thought about everything and emphatically they wanted to bring this guy in. Uh, I thought I don't think they would have done this with a player that is not of Batista's caliber in terms of taking care of themselves and their body with such a long layoff. Uh, that is one thing that Anthopoulos mentioned that this guy just keeps himself in fantastic shape, um, even for 37 years old. And we railed on this a little bit on our show right when it happened that this is not the this is not the Ryan Howard move. Uh, Ryan Howard was three years removed from being a major league, even a major league average hitter, and five years removed from being a quality player in the major leagues. Jose Bautista is one year removed from a very good season in 2016. It was not that long ago that he was an impact bat uh, in a lineup. So it makes sense to take a flyer. A flyer I, I think it is a little surprising that he's moved so fast after likely not seeing too much pitching uh, during the offseason when he hasn't he wasn't in a spring camp he wasn't uh, he wasn't around but you know he had a good game with fire frogs I believe the other day gonna play in the doubleheader tomorrow with triple a Gwinnett and I think they're just gonna keep running him out there to uh, get his timing back but I mean look this is a team that knows it probably needs some right-handed power if he doesn't start for this team um, on a on a nightly basis, which you know he may, he may not. Um, they still have Camargo. They still have Ryan Flaherty. Um, I don't want to I don't want to go on a limb and say that this is a this is a an indication that they don't have faith in Flaherty and Camargo. I think it's more of a it makes way too much sense to uh, not to bring this guy not to bring him in and give him a shot. And it, just the speed of it all, I think, is the only surprising part of this to me. Everything else uh, really checks out as as something that could help this franchise this season. Yeah, again, it's a no-risk move. And, I mean, I guess one of the biggest questions that we got when I put out the mailbag call this week was kind of, you know, the equivalent of, of what happens at third base if and when Batista arrives. Because you have Flaherty, who's been out of his mind, and Camargo, who a lot of the fan base still really regards uh, at a high level. I mean, I know you don't know the answer to this, but what would your educated guess be? If 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 Bautista is up, is he going to be in the lineup regularly right away? Is he going to be a straight bench bat? I mean, I guess the it all it might come down to Flaherty because at this point Flaherty's been so good that taking him out of the lineup seems weird, even though I don't really buy it necessarily. But until it, until he cools off, it's tough to really take him out of the lineup. But ultimately, what do you think happens? Because that's sort of the big question everybody's asking. It's a great question. Yeah, because it's, it's impossible it, to answer. I know it is, but um, you know, it's funny, and I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, but it's funny with Flaherty and Preston Tucker and Camargo and Ronald Acuna Jr. and Jose Bautista, and the the concept of uh, non sustainable unsustainable performance, and 
what we see happening on paper and what we expect to see over the course of a season when they are two uh, when they are two completely different ends of the spectrum, we obviously still doubt it, and we all get wrapped up in yeah. Well, you know, over the long haul, it's going to be Acuna and left. It's going to be Camargo or Batista at third base. At the same time, um, I think what gets lost, and I'm just as guilty of this as anybody. I think what gets lost is that Brian Snicker has at least some. He has to. He has to be beholden at least a little bit to a guy's performance, right? Like he he has to at some level treat his clubhouse as a meritocracy because if he doesn't, he loses credibility with with the entire clubhouse to say production matters. And unless it's stunting the development of a young player, like say they brought, you know, let's say last year when when Swanson wasn't you know performing at that high of a level. It's not like you can just bench Dansby Swanson. He's still the future of that position. So unless it's stunting the development of a player, um, you have to at least be beholden a little bit to production and treating it as a meritocracy. And from that perspective, maybe less so with Preston Tucker, who's cooled off. But with Ryan Flaherty, you kind of have to continue to uh, give him his, his ABs. And you can't just... Hey, Camargo's here. You're back to the bench now. Uh, in, in some ways, Camargo has to, you know, push his way into the lineup, and that would probably take Ryan Flaherty falling back down to earth. And I would, I would take that a step further with Bautista and say that he'll probably be um, starting at, you know, somewhere along the line. Um, but they seem like they're going to have a bit of a revolving door, and it's not like. It's not the worst thing. We've seen some really good teams over the past few years with the Astros and the Cubs in particular that have this organizational depth and also depth on the 25-man and versatility on the 25-man where you can buy guys off days and you can mix and match and move them around. Um, not to say that Batista is going to be a first if Freddie Freeman's healthy uh, over over Freddie Freeman's you know cold, dead body. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you, can, you can give Flaherty days off or you can put him – you know, elsewhere, you can move Camargo around um, around the infield. Maybe give Dansby, you know, a little bit of time uh, in the later innings or something. Uh, you know, I'm not sure where this leaves the uh, the likes of you know some some more struggling players like Charlie Culberson and Peter Borges, um, especially when Acuna gets up. But uh, it, I'm not willing to say that Bautista is just going to be their starter just because you know he's a he's a name brand guy on the roster. I think especially with third base at the moment, uh, everybody's going to have to produce or you're not going to be in there because they're, they have some decent options. I'm not sure they have like their, their future um, quite yet and not necessarily a long-term option at third, but given how everybody's performed, even Camargo last night uh, getting the late inning triple, um, is going to have to work for it. I don't think it's just going to be given to him. Oh, absolutely. I think – you know, even if you have the lowest possible opinion of Flaherty, I think he's going to cool off, which is probably going to happen to at least to some degree. Bautista, while he has been good semi-recently, was bad last year. And it's not like it's an inconceivable that he's just done. He's 37 years old, so we'll see. But, I mean, and Camargo, I'm not as high as on him as a lot of people are, but he's been good in the majors. So, uh, yeah, the revolving door uh, analogy is a good one. I think you're going to see a lot of different combinations, especially once – how Flaherty suddenly doesn't hit 400 uh, anymore with a uh, 500 slugging and all that fun stuff. So, yeah, and, lots not, to, and, uh, I, and I'll just throw this out there. I'm not 
obviously not high on it at the moment at all because they're the best uh, middle infield in baseball at the moment. But um, Dansby Swanson and Ozzie Albies, their their performance and their production has made it uh, has made the need for versatility uh, pro- has probably lessened that need because they can uh, at least early on they look like they're going to be able to handle this uh, the brunt of this workload uh, moving forward. I know we saw a start or two from Charlie Culberson uh, this year just to give Dansby a night off, but um, even I wouldn't be completely against kind of moving, you know, giving them a night off every now and then too, just to, whether it's a tough matchup or whatever they see, um, certainly everybody wants to see Dansby and Ozzy in the lineup every single night, but that versatility with Camargo or even Flaherty or whoever else is, you know, manning that bench, uh, they have some options with their, with their depth to kind of buy guys time. And that's kind of what we were talking about with Freddie Freeman is that you don't have to play 162 games. The same thing applies to you know everybody on this roster. I know they bought you know kind of Ender a day off uh, earlier this season. You know it's not going to be the worst thing if you know they buy buy Marquez a day off. Or we've seen what that kind of mixing and matching of you know, playing time with Flowers and Suzuki was able to tap into last year. So uh, having having a good bench and having that that organizational depth at the AAA level uh, can give them the ability to be you know, kind of fresh uh, throughout the season, not just kind of come out like gangbusters early on and then fade. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a good point in that, you know, especially with Camargo, that's going to be, I still think, his, the biggest part of his value long-term is the fact that he can play everywhere and be a backup to all those guys and give those guys spot nights off and just be that kind of uh, utility piece, which is uh, very interesting, for, especially if you can hit it all. So lots to uh, t- take in at third base. And uh, I, th- I saw some funny um, parallels being drawn to this next guy, who we mentioned briefly uh, in passing. I have to get your Acuna thoughts because that's what we do on this podcast. This is week three mm. of Acuna Watch. Um, he could be out tomorrow. That wouldn't blow me away. But uh, uh, thoughts on uh, him not being up? And I think, what do you have? Do you have three hits today? Something like that? He had three hit day. Three um, hit day today. Is it coming? Do we, do we assume it's coming rapidly? Um, and I guess, again, what, what were your thoughts on the delay so far? Have you looked into turning this into the Talking Acuna podcast instead of Talking Chop? Uh, it's, it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. Um, certainly it's been a lot of, uh, Acuna content for the last three weeks. I mean, it's, it's going to be that way when he arrives too, because he's that good of a prospect, but it certainly has not hurt our uh, web traffic that Acuna has not come up as weirdly as that is because everybody's so mad <laughs> about it. People, people come to the website and just want to yell about it, which I can appreciate. All right. Um, cards on the table. I expected Ron Acuna Jr. throughout the off season, early this season, to be up this homestand, this Agreed. past homestand that we just missed. Um, I thought that was the the timing when they would call him up. I thought it made too much sense. Uh, I didn't think it made a ton of sense to let him debut on the road. I know they've come under a ton of you know pressure and fire to you know not replicate what they did with Swanson and rush him into the limelight. And at the same time, I just expected it to be that second homestand. I did not expect what we've seen out of Preston Tucker, uh, he slowed down, but, you know, hitting 12% above league average at the moment. Uh, I will say since April 7th, Tucker is hitting 158, 200 OBP and a 289 slugging. I think that, I think that is notable, although he has come up in some pretty big situations, five RBI night the other night. Um, and that may be, uh, and it probably is a factor of a lot of guys being on base ahead of him. And it's going to happen when, especially when Ozzy and Freddie are hitting ahead of you at the moment. But um, he has slowed 
down, but he has had some big moments for this team. I think that Preston is, you know, being being a left-handed power bat, I think he may earn himself a spot on this 25 man throughout the season. Uh, I just don't necessarily think that it's going to be in an everyday fashion at the major league level. I, but his fast start was surprising. It was also surprising this team is the highest scoring team in the National League. I did not expect that um, whatsoever. I did not expect any of what we got out of the back of this lineup. Um, I, 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 I didn't expect Dansby to do what he's done, but certainly um, I expected him to kind of come back into his own and have a good season. But um, I think all of this combined has simply bought them time. And I am on record as saying, like, they, I don't think playing the he's, he doesn't have great numbers at AAA as if it's an indictment on the type of player that, you know, he is at the moment, as if somehow the player in spring training is different than the player in AAA. Um, you know, I think Anthopolis makes some decent points, some really good points and some smart points on why they haven't brought him up yet. Uh, number one, um, I, you, can, you can point to things that you want to you know have him develop but at the same time it's it, you don't want to bring up a guy that's trying to figure it out and get back into his rhythm why at, at this point with the highest scoring team in the national league why not wait until he's kind of in cruise control and back to where he was um i don't necessarily buy into the well nobody you know advances you in spring training and you know so people aren't preparing for you uh, it's different at the AAA level because they are advancing you. This guy dominated AAA last year. If we're if we're going to play the numbers game, Ronald Acuna Jr. would have been a September call-up last year. We know why he wasn't with service time um, and what they're trying to do and have him be a centerpiece for the long term. But um, I just I, I felt the numbers game was uh, not the smartest not the smartest card to play when everybody talks about well he's not up because his numbers are bad. Uh, a little bit. You just kind of want him to be in a rhythm when he comes up, and they have bought time for themselves. But I think we're getting closer. You know, mentioning those Tucker numbers, uh, it, it it's going to be. I, I think I, I don't know if we're going to get get out of a. I think we'll get out of April now. Um, but early May is probably where I'm where I'm at now. But. I've I've been a bit in the dark on this. I thought he'd be up earlier, but they've been a whole lot better than I thought they would. Yeah, that's been sort of a looming thing. I think if maybe if the Braves were uh, seven and thirteen, there might be a little bit more. Uh, I don't know organizational uh, <laughs> push to bring up Acuna for a little spark. I agree. But, I agree. And and if and if the Tucker thing hadn't worked, or if you know, or any left fielder, you know, run. I mean. Borges' numbers haven't been good. Lane Adams' numbers were pretty good, but he's um, DFA'd, and they're hoping to keep him in the organization. Uh, uh, Preston Tucker was the one that kind of, I think, solidified. Okay, we don't we don't have to bring him up at this deadline. Uh, it's not it's not absolutely necessary, and it's also a bit transparent to say we want this guy to work on things and develop at the AAA level before he call we call him up at a certain point. But then he gets off to a slow start, and then you call him up right at a certain deadline. So they would have gotten killed. It's, in it's some this sort right of exactly like it, it's a it's a no win situation. It's yeah. a tug of war. Uh, we've I've mentioned this to you on on plenty uh, plenty of on many occasions that baseball just needs to get rid of this facade. Yes. And if they push this deadline 
to let's just call I, I like the all-star break idea where if a team actually had a choice, there is no choice between uh, keep your top prospect down in the minors for two weeks and then have a year on the back end. That's not a choice. Like that is that is made for every organization out there to manipulate service time. A choice would be, okay, you have to be without this player until the all-star break. Uh, is it worth keeping him down there at a level he's clearly mastered and you know, pushing your luck to see you know, where you're out at the all-star break? I think that's a choice for teams at least. Or call it the trade deadline in your August 1st. Whatever, whatever deadline you want to set, uh, this one doesn't work for – I don't think for the player. And then we all just have to go through this um, – I don't, I, you know, I'm, this is not an indictment on the Braves, like front office or anything. This is just how baseball functions in 2018, and you have to, you have to say certain things. You have to go through this, um, you have to go through this kind of show, if you will, um, and it, it, it kind of makes it frustrating. It made it frustrating with the Chris Bryant. It makes it frustrating now. But while we're here, I understand what they're saying, and I don't think that it's outlandish that this young young player isn't up yet. Yeah. I think, obviously, this is not a new argument. I think my, my thoughts are out there, but I wanted to at least get yours on the record. And, you know, the later it gets here, I think they're going to wait a little bit longer, as you mentioned. Maybe if Tucker has another, you know, if, it, if Tucker goes 0 for 12 next three days, maybe you get that a little bit faster. Yeah, um, this, is a long, this is a long road trip. Um, it is. If, if, Tucker, if Tucker continues to slide and – you know, maybe a, a timely home run here or there or a timely hit uh, will keep him in the lineup. But if this team struggles uh, offensively at any point during this road trip, and I don't expect it to happen in Cincinnati, um, if if uh, if that happens, it wouldn't shock me if it's this road trip. But as of right now, um, and I got the first homestand wrong, so I'll go with this next homestand is probably my uh, my educated guess on when it's going to be. By the way, the Cincinnati Reds are three and eighteen. They're so bad, Brad. Uh, it They're would be so very, on, it would be very on brand in some ways for the Braves to go in there and lose two or three. But just be very, yeah, be very, uh, very Atlanta. It in would general. be very Atlanta sports if uh, the horrible, no good, dirty, rotten um, Reds were to win a couple games here. But right, we're not talking about like just this is we're not making fun of the Braves. We're just talking about our city. In general, what we <laughs> what we witness on a yes. on a very on a very regular basis. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, all right, a couple more things before I let you get out of here, man. Um, no real action item here, but we should at least mention on the podcast that Kurt Suzuki is out of his mind. He's um, insane. He has a 171 WRC plus after last year's ridiculous performance in a small sample. Uh, he has a 10.7 percent walk rate and a 3.6 percent strikeout rate. So far this season, by the way, his bad whip is 279 and he is doing this like he is he just I mean, it seems insane, but is he just this good? Is this real? Like I kind of expected as everyone probably did him to not be as good as he was last year because there was nothing to indicate that he was going to be as good, as good as he was last year. But suddenly he's doing it again and he's doing it even more frequently now that he's basically been the primary catcher for the entire season. Full disclosure, I tried to work on a Kurt Suzuki story during this homestand, and he is the most impossible player to catch at his locker. Uh, <laughs> I, only, I only want to talk about how good he's been, and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't find him. Uh, I couldn't get him. Uh, it was the same way at spring training. Uh, nobody could seem to put Kurt in uh, a certain position at any point in time to interview him. Um, it, 
you know, you don't want to overrate, overestimate these things, but I did ask Brian Sinker about it. Um, that was yesterday. Uh, just asking him, you know, every time a veteran player, I think he was, that was his age 33 season puts together a career year at the plate. And I'm talking, it had never been close to that. And there's, there's trepidation on if he can, uh, follow that back up. And then Kurt Suzuki comes back in, Tyler Flowers goes down, uh, first at bat of the season, and Suzuki just picked up right where he left off. It, it's And Snicker said that um, he saw this in spring training. Like, he never, it never seemed like he, he um, stopped hitting. He just, he just picked it right back up and looked like the same old Kurt that he was in 2017. Uh, the numbers are, the, the numbers are insane. Okay, since, since the start of the 2017 season, uh, these are the top six offensive catchers, minimum of 300 plate appearances. Gary Sanchez at number six. Tyler Flowers is at number five. Mike Zunino is at number four. Wilson Contreras, number three. Buster Posey, number two. And Kurt Suzuki hitting 39% <laughs> above league average is a, a, ahead of Buster Posey. And, I mean, and Gary Sanchez and all these other offensive catchers we always talk about, um, the only other players that are ahead of him in terms of limited catch, you know, limited time even behind the plate, Evan Gaddis and Austin Barnes, who their teams move them around uh, to other positions, just keep their bats in the lineup. But in terms of full time catchers, uh, Kurt Suzuki is one of the best offensive catchers in baseball since the start of the 2017 season, and uh, just kind of going through his swing numbers. One of the biggest reasons why I think is what he's done against fastballs. And he's been incredibly aggressive at the plate. Uh, heading into this past season, uh, his career high at any swing rate was in 2016 with the Twins at 48%. Last year, 52.7%. This year, 58.1%. So he set a career high last year. He's kind of followed it up this year, just being incredibly aggressive uh, and really jumping all over fastballs. The best he's ever hit fastballs in his career. He's just, I don't know. It's so funny at his age too, like, and there was such a long track record of him not being good at the plate. Like he was when the Braves signed him, it was not for his bat. No, no, it was, a, it was like, to spell Tyler Flowers. Uh, it was a, I think I, and as a safe, like, defensive-minded, like, solid veteran, you know, guy. It's just not. He was not supposed to be the Evan Gaddis mold of like, you know, power bat. That's not something but, that he ever has been. It's so crazy. But neither was Tyler Flowers. Agreed. I mean, Tyler. What? Tyler was, you know, a, a light hitting, you know, catcher in the White Sox system. I mean, he hit some home runs every now and then. But you know, I've talked to Tyler about this before. Is that he had lost, you know, all confidence when he went uh, when he was up in Chicago. Just all confidence in that he could be uh, a really, you know, a really good bat at the major league level. And you know, I think we do have to give credit to Kevin Seitzer here with this team and some of these pieces that he has helped kind of resurrect um and flowers and suzuki are probably his star pupils uh in that regard um i just i I think that what they've both done has been remarkable and suzuki um he's a good defensive player too but what he's done what he's done at the plate i mean you can make the argument he is the best part-time player in baseball i mean you can like since the start of the 2017 season that seems crazy to make like that argument for a 34 year old catcher that really never hit above league average except for one season when he was an all star. Um, but only him and Aaron Hicks 
in baseball or in the top 100 in Fangraph's war among players uh, with 400 fewer plate appearances. So the what he what he's done in limited you know time last year, and then to take that into this season and be able to step in uh, when they lost Tyler Flowers, uh, it, I don't know. I mean, I it it's been it's been one it, it, it's kind of a shame that it happened on a, on a team that was nowhere close to the playoffs last year. Um, but if they keep this up, I think it's going to get uh, much more recognition kind of nationally if if he's able to do anything close to what he was last year over the course of the season. And if Flowers can join him and once he gets over this oblique injury, um, I mean, they were the best catching duo in baseball last year. And nobody would have nobody would have thought that to be possible when there's, you know, you know, duos with superstars or even the cat. The Cubs had like three or four catchers. It felt like last year and there were Suzuki and Flowers at the top. Yeah, I was very wrong about Flowers in 2017, and I'm happy to be wrong about Suzuki in 2018 if it continues, because um, I projected both those guys to, to backslide back to closer to their norms, and neither have done it yet. So uh, I, that's you know not a bad thing. Anyway, all right, one, one more thing before we get to uh, one uh, sort of hypothetical to close this out. Matt Whistler was really, really good the other night. Um, I had sort of, I had sort of written him off, as, you know, with, along with a lot of people, as a starting option. I think the bullpen thing is sort of interesting in some ways, but the slider especially looked quite good. And if that is real, is it possible that he could be a thing again? Not like you know, super devastating like he was. Like he was legitimately awesome the other night. I think that's not probably an expectation you can, that you can have rationally with, with Whistler, but he did enough to where he's going to get another start. And uh, I mean, the profile is different, which is why it's uh, interesting to me. You know. Whistler is one of those players that, you know, I, I, I've always thought he had the competency to pitch at the major league level and his stuff has fluctuated over the past few years. But when he's on his, when he's at his best, I still think he could be a major league starter. Now he needs to do that night after night and Whistler would be the first one to tell you that. But he talked to, he told us in spring that he had made mechanical adjustments and he was, um, I guess, reserved about it but he was he was pretty uh he was pretty adamant that he had made the correct adjustments particularly on that slider staying on top of it and uh, i talked to him uh the other day i guess it was friday um about what he means because you hear him in his interviews talk about staying back and he's staying back on that back leg so his back right leg um and he's not you know letting his hips fly open anymore he's kind of keeping it more of a downward plane and he said he lost uh velo uh, in spring training and early this season, but he's gotten that back. And I think if, I think if it was a one-off, like if let's just say he had a bad spring and you know Triple A his numbers were you know kind of where they've been in past years that came up and just had like a fantastic spot start, um, that would maybe kind of raise my eyebrows. But since he's made those mechanical adjustments, he's made six starts from spring training to Triple A to the major league level. And he has a two six seven ERA, twenty four strikeouts and three walks over those six starts. Now in spring training, they put him in the bullpen relief role, and uh, that's kind of like inflated his numbers a little bit. But Matt Whistler, it, it's you know we're kind of looking at a decent little stretch here where it seems like these mechanical adjustments. Um, there's something to look, you know, there's kind of something to look at here. And he wouldn't be the first pitcher in the world to debut when he's twenty two and start to figure things out when he's 25 or 26. We forget sometimes like that Whistler's 25 and some of these players that we've we've talked about for so long are still just in their mid 20s. Um 
and it, it it's it's kind of funny. I mean, he's, he's he's still a young kid that's trying to figure it out. And I think if he was a a prospect that was just kind of working his way up through the system, um, and he he hadn't had all this major league kind of experience and major league chances and kind of faltered at this level, maybe we'd be talking about him in, in a different in a different way. But uh, it's weird. I don't know. Before I came on this podcast and we were talking a little bit about Whistler and kind of bounce back. It's it's funny that we just expect players to step in and we see a a, a definite development, you know, kind of a you know exponential growth, if you will, and just year after year get better and better. And sometimes it doesn't happen for players. You know, I think back to last year watching the Astros. Who would have who in the Braves organization would have thought they would see Charlie Morton just dominating in the World Series and closing it He's out? He's doing for it again too. I I know. Who would have thought? I mean, sometimes it takes a long time for players to develop and put it together. And yeah, I mean, organizations for, for understandable reasons, you know, give up on players, they have to move on. And certainly guys like Whistler and Blair and uh, particularly Lucas Sims, like they, they're probably feeling that crunch. And now Blair with the shoulder surgery, uh, Whistler's kind of the only one left of that kind of fringe group. Uh, there's a bit of a crunch now with Soroka and Allard, uh, Luis Gohara, Kyle Wright is looking fantastic. Um, I think he feels that uh, kind of opportunity kind of starting to wane. And this is his, this may be his last chance to, uh, in this organization, really cement himself as a starting option. Um, that's not to say that his career is over by any means, but um, it, it was really good to see, I think, uh, a guy that, you know, I know puts in a lot. And for him to put a start like that together, one of his best starts of his career was kind of cool. Yeah, we, we've at least seen Whistler not be good at the major league level, but he's not been embarrassing Like to the point where if it doesn't work here, if he struggles his next start, if he gets another one after that, struggles again, like that might be it for him with the Braves as his starter. That doesn't mean that he's, as you mentioned, the career is over. Like He could be a bullpen guy or he maybe even get a chance somewhere else because he's not been terrible elsewhere when, when he's pitching the majors. And... You know he has some he has some pedigree to fall back on as well. A team might be uh, interested in that. And if, if the profile with the slider, the way that it looked the other night, is real, then uh, even if he sort of gets phased out in Atlanta, could be a, a good landing spot somewhere else. Uh, I candidly had pretty much given up, but uh, I'm I'm definitely intrigued, and that's uh, that's fun. I I always kind of liked him. I don't think I liked him as much as some other people did, but um, including uh, Carlos, always loved him. I know you've always liked him. Um, it's one of those things where. You know he's, he has enough to where it might work, um, especially if he pitches the way that he did the other night. Um, all right, last thing. We got a ton of mailbag questions that were – a lot of them were pretty much the same, and there was some version of do you think the start is sustainable um, for the entire team and their performance level. I will say uh, they're currently on a 97-win on a, on a pace. That is not sustainable, I don't think. Um, but I guess the overarching question uh, more so than anything else is like is this team actually – good because you know, coming into the year, even if you were high on the Braves, you probably had them in the low 80s with win totals, and they're obviously playing a lot better than that right now. So, uh, you know, it's, again, it's a very small sample. It's 20 games. It's going to be the headline of this podcast is the sort of the 20-game mark and uh, what that kind of means. But judging off what, we, what we've seen so far, kind of where are you on the team for the rest of the way? Yeah, candidly, I thought this team in a, in a good year, uh, not just performing way over its head, but in a, if it was a good season for them, I thought 500 was a was an admirable mark, and maybe they're playing competitive games in August and September. Uh, I think I'm a little higher on them now than I was on opening day, if only because in past years, 
they have gotten off to some decent starts. And even in, I believe, 2015, uh, right before Jason Grilly went down, I think they were around around 500 at the All-Star break. They had some, they put together some decent starts. And they were 500 after the All-Star break last year before they kind of ran into a gauntlet. Um, but all of those teams were performing way over their head. The run differential was in the negatives and they were winning close games. And it's one of the reasons that stat I mentioned early on in this podcast uh, winning 40 games in their last at bats since Snitker took over, that's winning a lot of close games and kind of eking out performances. But right now, this team is leading the National League in run differential. Uh, so it, it you can't really call it lucky at the moment because they've also played what baseball reference phrases as the toughest schedule in baseball or tied for the toughest in baseball. Braves opponents in all of their other games, not playing the Braves this year, 51 and 31. They have played a really good schedule, and that is with the Cubs being 9-9 and and the Nationals being under 500. So they have, if they haven't played the number one schedule, it's been top five in baseball, and they still have you know a, a, a run differential that's right up there, I think only behind teams like the Astros and the Red Sox, teams that have played a much easier schedule, and obviously they're fantastically talented. Um but yeah, this team should be thir- thirteen and seven by their Pythagorean win loss, and um, I think more than anything, this is not. In past years, it felt fluky, and this doesn't feel as fluky. They are getting real performances from superstars like Freddie Freeman, uh, Dansby, and Ozzy have kind of come into their own as as bona fide prospects, and they still have things waiting in the wings. This this rotation, uh, really since that Sean Newcomb start in Colorado has been one of the best rotations in all of baseball. That's with Anibal Sanchez and Matt Whistler kind of trading spots in that fifth role. But um, they're kind of, I mean, you look at FIP, you look at, you know, strand rate, anything else, like this is a this is a rotation that's right up there uh, behind only teams like the Dodgers and the Indians right now. So uh, they're getting it done with the rotation. And the bullpen hasn't been as bad as they've been a punching bag. Uh, it's just been their, their primary weakness in Achilles' heel. But this is still a this is still a bullpen that has an ERA minus of eleven percent better than league average and a FIP that's right at league average. So the walk rate is insane at sixteen point seven percent. I would say that it's completely unsustainable. Uh, only one team since uh, this century, and that would be the two thousand Pirates, set a walk rate over thirteen percent. So the Braves are at sixteen point seven. Um, I think that will come down. It's just been their Achilles heel. Um, and again, I, I believe Jay Cooper of Baseball America made this point the other day. They have the organizational depth in the top prospects to not only help this team down the stretch and as we get along in the season and they can cover for injuries and really upgrade at places like left field, in my opinion. But they also have the prospects to if they need to go out and make a move uh, to get some help, uh, they have they have the flexibility to do so. So uh, I'm not willing to say this is a playoff team guaranteed or anything. But um, this is a this is a better team than I expected, and I think anybody expected. And uh, it's not this start is not fluky by any means, which is uh, which is a very different place for them to be in. Yeah, if, if anything, they should probably be, have a better record than they have. They have yeah, you know, they had they had they had that excruciating Cubs loss with eight, with the eight run lead for one. Uh, you know, Friday night they probably should have won. And granted, they probably should have "quote unquote" lost Saturday night, so that probably evens out a little bit. But it's one of those things where, if anything, they've been a little bit better than their numbers suggest, which is kind of wild. And as and as you said, like going against, the, I mean, they finally get a little bit of a, a respite, and we'll see if if Atlanta's going, you know, 
if if the city is truly cursed or whatever. But um, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna see. But uh, they get a bit of a, a respite here playing against the playing against the Reds. But then they still have to go against the Phillies and the Mets. This is a very tough kind of opening schedule with the way that the Phillies and the Mets have played. Um, I'm not I'm not as huge, big of a believer in the Mets. I'm not. I think the Phillies lineup is better than the Mets, and uh, the Phillies mm-hmm. rotation has been fantastic. Uh, uh, okay, that may have been a hot take, but that it's Mets lineup, hot. That that Mets lineup doesn't scare anybody, especially with Jonas Cespedes with 50 strikeouts at the moment. He's not providing them anything. Um, I really like Conforto, but uh, they have the rotation. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what it looks like without Harvey in there. Um, but yeah, with with Syndergaard and Degrom, they have kind of some horses, and they're certainly not. Yeah, the Nationals aren't going anywhere. So this is, you know, Freddie Freeman, I joked about this. Freddie Freeman, in the beginning of the season, said that the NL East is the toughest division in baseball. And I laughed. Like, I, I was like, no, no way. Like, come on. There is no way the NL East is the toughest division in baseball. And it's here we are. still, by the way. And, no, no, no. I, not, I, I don't think it is either. It's I'm not as crazy saying, as it sounded then. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a division that was the worst division in baseball for a good two, you know, probably – two seasons, two plus seasons. Um, and for him to say that, I was like, eh, but the Phillies are, you know, they look a lot better. Um, the Marlins are horrific, but, um, the nationals aren't going anywhere and the Mets are good. Um, I don't, I'm not in love with their lineup, but the Mets are really good too. So, uh, this is a tough division and it's not like the Braves are just gonna, um, run roughshod over them. Uh, this is, there's going to be a lot of competitive games, which has made this kind of early season action really impressive because um, they're kind of loading up on these division wins. Yeah, so you know, for me, answering the is this, is this sustainable question again. You know, nice everyone pace is not sustainable, but I think this team could suddenly be in the second wildcard contention now, and I wouldn't have said that um, two three weeks yeah. ago. So uh, I'm not predicting that, and in fact, I, I, I would go. To, I would not predict that, frankly. And you know, you look at some of the projection systems; it's still very early, but they still have the Braves somewhere around 80 wins, even with this 12 and 8 start banked in. And that's that makes sense. That, I think that's probably closer to where I am, frankly. But you know, a lot could go well if you factor in Acuna and you factor in some of the young pitching that could be arriving and some upgrades. So yeah, it's, and whatever and whatever's happening with Julio. Yeah, that, well, yeah, he's suddenly been out of his mind for two starts. So that's. I'm not sure I buy it, but uh, that's that'd be huge if he was suddenly the guy he has been in his career for full seasons when he was really good. That would be a huge infusion um, for this for this rotation because um, they, the rotation's been good so far. But if Julio was the guy with a you know low three ZRA, that would be a very different story. Yeah, I mean, if this team plays like it has the last two weeks with a top five rotation and the highest scoring team in the National League, heads up, they're gonna be they're gonna be a playoff team. Yeah, um, I mean, if it's gonna be that, are, yeah. <laughs> things are going to it's a big if things are things are going to happen. Uh, you know, I really like what I've seen from the young starters. Um, Julio seems to have benefited from the Anibal Sanchez helping him out, learning to work with. I would call it diminished stuff. I mean, you know, the fastball is right around ninety miles per hour now. Um, certainly not the you know the top pitching prospect in baseball that we saw break in when he was uh, in what 2011, 2012. But um, yeah, if, I, I'm hundred percent there with you. If they get if they get a bounce back year from Julio with what we're seeing out of Fulton Evich, Newcomb, you know, Brandon McCarthy has been very solid for this team. I think he's a great veteran ad for them at the moment. Um, and if Gohara is able to come up, um, be anywhere close to where he was last year, or if Whistler can, you know, kind of continue to build on this stuff, uh, it's going to be a competitive enough rotation 
that as they as they keep adding some young pieces, um, whether it's in the bullpen or the lineup, um, they're they're better than I thought they were it, for sure. And I never thought I'd be twenty games in looking at a twelve and eight record, calling them a bit unlucky, and saying that they're the top you know team in the National League and run differential. Never thought I'd be saying that. No, absolutely not. Uh, well, I've taken plenty of your time, Zach. Please plug anything you'd like to, my friend. Uh, you are a uh, an infrequent tweeter, but uh, one of my favorite Twitter accounts. And uh, plug anything you like, man. All right. Um, yeah. So we're doing Chopcast Live Mondays and Thursdays at noon on the Fox Sports South Facebook page. Kind of our kind of our thing on Tuesdays. You can find the chop on the podcast version. And uh, yeah, just do a little writing, a little bit of tweeting. Uh, follow Fox Sports Braves. All the good tweets are mine. I'll take all the credit and all the horrible tweets are mine as well so as brad will probably call me out as we go it happens uh, throughout the season um so yeah just find us all find us all there we try and uh, we try and you know try and be fun we're not against analytics as some people think on the on the fo- on the fox version of things but um <laughs> we're, <laughs> we aren't against it we run we run the twitter account and stuff so feel free to have some fun go go follow us and Watch the videos, and this is a good team. So they've been pretty fun, helping out a lot. Yeah, because we've been covering some. There have been some some boring teams. This is not a this is not a boring team whatsoever. There's a lot of fun young pieces, and a it's been a it's been a good start of the season. So um, we're enjoying it. I, I tweeted this uh, early this morning on this uh, fine Sunday that baseball is fun again, and I mean that it was uh, not always fun. And, you know, I, I enjoy talking about baseball pretty much at all times, but. Um, this pot, there's been some podcasts um, in the last couple of years that haven't been super enjoyable to discuss, and this is not one of them. So I'm excited about baseball again. And that's uh, that's it's nice to be back. So anyway, well, thank you, thank you, uh, Zach. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. We'll have to do it again very soon. Anytime, man. As for everybody else, we'll be back next week with another podcast, uh, barring some craziness. Uh, if Ronald Acuna gets called up, we could do an emergency podcast, but you know what are we going to say? He's awesome, and watch him. So anyway, at some point in the next week, we'll be back and that's it for that. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.